This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome to VOA's Africa News Tonight. Thank you for joining us. In for your Hayes Wuhib, I'm Demiake Mokadielie, and here's what's coming up. South Africa being such a significant economy in the region, it's a huge blot that it hasn't really made the progress that it should be making towards a strong beneficial ownership registry. That's Lakshmi Kumar, a policy director at Global Financial Integrity, who says South Africa needs to do more to prevent money laundering and terrorist financing by improving its ability to track transactions. Also, developing countries have mixed reactions to the COP27 climate summit agreement. Former South African President Jacob Zuma must return to prison for contempt of court. And the World Cup is underway in Qatar with Senegal facing Netherlands right now. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. On Sunday at the COP27 climate summit in Egypt, delegations ended marathon negotiations for a final statement and agreement. VOA correspondent Heather Murdoch is at the summit in Sham el-Sheikh. She told my colleague Kate Pound Dawson that developing countries, which suffer the most from climate change, despite contributing the least to the problem, have mixed reactions to the agreement. There's two main takeaways from the final agreement, which happened almost a day and a half after it was supposed to end. And the first was about carbon emissions. Um, There was no progress made uh, to reduce carbon emissions. And that was one of the main goals of the climate conference. They didn't backtrack on the Paris Agreement, um, which said they were trying to reduce emissions enough to keep the world's global temperatures rising to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels or at the most. So that goal, they maintained that goal, but they didn't do anything more to further it because right now the world's not on track to meet that goal. The other thing that did happen, which was um, much more promising, was the loss and damage fund was agreed upon. And this is an issue that developing countries from all over the world had come into the negotiations as a top priority with. There was a lot of pushback on this a lot of the wealthier nations did not want to have this kind of fund, were worried about unlimited liability, and had already pledged funding um, that was inadequate in other for other sources of funding for money to help developing countries recover from climate change disasters and prepare for climate change disasters, which um, it's usually the poorest and most vulnerable communities that are most Uh, likely to suffer from climate change disasters. So that's why they wanted this fund. This fund was developed, um, but it's not also clear exactly when it will be funded and how the money will be dispersed. Do we know anything about when they're going to get those details on the fund, when it's going to be funded, how the money will be distributed, Who's going to manage it? Or- I think it's going to be a long time before those details are known. The first official meeting is scheduled for March 2023. And in that meeting, it'll be a preliminary uh, meeting to agree on logistics, on how to fund it and how to disperse the money. But they're still talking about at least a year or two years out before the funding becomes functional. And as you know, politically, Especially when it comes to money, a lot can change during that amount of time. 
How has the statement and agreement coming out of COP27 been received, particularly by developing countries such as those on the African continent that, as you mentioned, are hardest hit by climate disasters? It's received mixed reviews. There was a tremendous amount of relief and, and happiness that the loss and damage fund was agreed upon. This is something that people have been talking about for decades. So starting a track to right that wrong um, was a great achievement. And a lot of uh, representatives from developing countries were quite happy about this. Um, the worry about the funding was also there. And then there was also the fear of the fact that the emissions uh, were not cut. There was no, there was no promises and mechanisms developed to further cut emissions. And those same countries that are happy about a loss and damage fund to help deal with the more immediate crisis in recent years and surely in the years to come um, are the same countries that are going to suffer the most from global warming in the years to come. That's correspondent Heather Murdoch in Sham al-Sheikh, Egypt, speaking with VOA's Kate Pound Dawson. The East Africa community Monday postponed a third round of peace talks between the Democratic Republic of Congo and rebel groups in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, saying conditions were not right. The talks by the seven-nation group are being held in parallel with peace talks in Angola involving the presidents of Burundi, the DRC and Rwanda. Kinshasa has accused Kigali of supporting the M23 rebels in the DRC, which Rwanda denies. The resurgence of the rebel group M23 has threatened the peace in eastern DRC and displaced thousands in recent weeks. There is an ethnic component to the fighting in North Kivu. M23 is made up mainly of ethnic Tutsis and has accused the DRC government of failing to protect their families against rebel groups in the region led by ethnic Hutus. Recent actions by the U.S. government suggest that South Africa's banking and financial systems are being used to channel funding to terrorist organizations across the continent. Across the continent. Since March, the U.S. Treasury has imposed sanctions on several South Africans and their businesses. They are alleged to have given technical, financial or material support to the ISIS terror network. Darren Taylor reports. The Financial Action Task Force monitors how governments try to prevent money laundering and terrorist financing. The FATF says South Africa hasn't effectively identified, investigated or prosecuted terrorist financiers. Lakshmi Kumar is policy director at Global Financial Integrity, an anti-corruption group based in Washington, D.C., South Africa being such a significant economy in the region, it's a huge blot that it hasn't really made the progress that it should be making towards a strong beneficial ownership registry. She says these registries require public disclosure of the identity of individuals who benefit financially from companies, even if they're not legal owners. This ability to identify who owns a company, who's the natural person behind the company, is critical when you're trying to find people who've managed to smuggle away ill-gotten gains because it is always through a company structure of some sort, both domestically but also the ability to move that money outside South Africa to the rest of the world is facilitated primarily through anonymous companies. 
The World Bank says anonymous companies are used in the majority of corruption cases it reviews. It says beneficial owners hide behind shell companies and use complex money trails to move billions of dollars around the world. Late last week, Pretoria began rushing through legislation to establish a beneficial ownership registry. This after the FATF warned it could greylist South Africa, which would likely cost the country a lot in lost trade and investment. Kumar says the registry is essential to preventing money from flowing to terrorist organizations. But, says Kumar, even with them, Africa will continue to be particularly attractive to terrorist financiers because of the continent's extractive industries. The reason they lend themselves to being money laundered or being able to move is they are low weight, high value, and they're untraceable, and they are very dependent on a cash economy. Gold, diamonds, and a whole host of other minerals are perfect for illicit financial flows. One of the men the U.S. has identified as leading an ISIS cell in South Africa describes himself as a legitimate businessman involved in jewelry trading. Another is linked with a gold dealership. Extremist groups are burgeoning in Africa, and some use sophisticated equipment, so they must have a lot of money, says Kumar. Al-Shabaab is able to now pay close to a million dollars a month out to its fighters. We've seen that the bulk of the illicit finance coming from the continent is through the sale of commodities. She says large amounts of money are leaving South Africa to be laundered in countries with even weaker financial regulations, like Democratic Republic of Congo. DRC is an excellent example because with a country like DRC, you can move extractive commodities, as in you can move goods that are traded across the border. It's much harder to move financials as easily, simply because DRC is considered a high-risk financial country. According to international law enforcement agencies, terrorists smuggle gold and diamonds from DRC into neighboring countries like Uganda. The minerals are then mislabeled as being of Ugandan origin, which makes it much easier to sell them. The World Bank says only 21% of countries in sub-Saharan Africa have beneficial ownership registries. Kumar says some African political leaders don't want stronger financial regulations because they're benefiting from weak systems to stash laundered public money in foreign bank accounts and to invest ill-gotten gains in high-end international property markets. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. South Africa's highest appeals court has ruled that former President Jacob Zuma must return to prison, saying his release from a contempt of court sentence last year on medical parole was unlawful. Linda Giftash reports from Johannesburg. South Africa's former president, Jacob Zuma, lost his appeal Monday to remain on medical parole. The 80-year-old has been serving a 15-month sentence for contempt of court since July 2021 for refusing to appear before a national inquiry on state graft during his tenure. Zuma's arrest last year sparked protests from his supporters that spiraled into widespread unrest and looting, mainly in his home province of KwaZulu-Natal and the country's economic hub of Gauteng. 
but Zuma spent less than two months behind bars, having swiftly been granted medical parole for an undisclosed illness. That decision was reversed by South Africa's highest court last December, but a lengthy legal battle against the ruling means Zuma avoided a return to prison until today. South Africa's Supreme Court of Appeals upheld the High Court's ruling that medical parole was granted, quote, unlawfully, unquote, for having considered factors that were irrelevant to qualifying. But the appeals court did not uphold the High Court verdict that his time served on medical parole should be nullified, which would have resulted in Zuma serving a full 15 months behind bars. Instead, the court ruled the National Commissioner of Correctional Services could decide whether the former president's time on parole would be subtracted from his sentence. If allowed, Zuma would serve no additional time in jail for the contempt of court. Zuma's party, the ruling African National Congress, have yet to release a statement on the ruling. South Africa's opposition Democratic Alliance Party called on the commissioner to stick with the initial ruling from the high court so Zuma would, quote, serve his sentence like any ordinary South African, unquote. Zuma could still fight the decision by appealing to the constitutional court, which initially ruled him guilty of contempt. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Demyake Mokalielia here in Washington, sitting in for Yeheyes Wuhib. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please visit our website, voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Reuters news, Reuters news reports preliminary results released by Equatorial Guinea's government today showed the ruling party winning over 99% of votes counted so far in presidential, legislative and municipal elections held on Sunday. The tiny oil-producing Central African state is run by President Teodoro Obiang, the world's longest ruling head of state, who is seeking to extend his 43 years in office. Two opposition candidates are standing, Bionaventura Monsiu Asumu, who has run in five previous elections, and Andres Esono Ondo, who is running for the first time. Early partial results showed Obiang's ruling Democratic Party of Equatorial Guinea and his coalition with 67,012 votes out of 67,196 counted so far. More than 400,000 people registered to vote in the country of about 1.5 million. Authorities in Botswana are reporting increased thefts of lithium batteries from mobile phone towers amid a surge in global demand for the battery in electric vehicles. The Southern African nation's biggest mobile network operator says it has lost more than $100,000 worth of lithium batteries in just one week. Mkondisi Dube reports from Haberoni, Botswana. Botswana police spokesperson Diteko Mutube says most of the stolen batteries are being smuggled across the border to Zimbabwe. Mutube says five suspects from Zimbabwe and the Botswana National were arrested this week in possession of batteries worth more than $100,000. The batteries were stolen from Botswana's leading mobile network service provider, Mascom. The company's spokesperson, Deboho Libutsesebeho, says the thefts are derailing their service delivery. This issue is certainly a crisis. 
and it is affecting our quality of service ambitions. We are working very closely with relevant law enforcement offices and other relevant administrators. We're especially working with the community to find sustainable solutions to arrest the situation. There is a surge in global demand for lithium batteries and their components due to their use in electric cars. However, Zimbabwean-born UK-based economic and political analyst Zenzo Moyo says the thefts in Botswana could be the result of the frequent power outages experienced in some southern African countries. It is um, not surprising that um, these lithium batteries are in high demand now, mainly because of the load shedding that is being experienced in countries in southern Africa, especially in Zimbabwe and South Africa. Some households use lithium batteries for solar lighting, while light industries also rely on them. Moyo says there's a huge market for the batteries in countries like Zimbabwe that are turning to alternative energy sources. The economic hardships that Zimbabweans face back at home cannot be used as an excuse for any kind of theft. Uh, whether these are batteries or not, it cannot be used uh, for that purpose. If you look at the numbers that are mentioned um, uh, that, that were intercepted, uh, these are huge numbers and it indicates that the people that were carrying these batteries are either runners or people that are selling them. So there is a huge market for them, understandably, but the people that are carrying the batteries or that were caught with the batteries cannot be the people that are starving. These are people that are selling them because of the market that is there. Lithium's price has risen 13-fold in the last two years with global demand for the metal rapidly outpacing supply. Benchmark Mineral Intelligence, a London-based price reporting agency, projects that lithium mining market will almost double in the next eight years to nearly $6.4 billion in 2013. Kondisi Dube for VOA News, Habroni Botswana. To West Africa now. Nigeria has not registered any Ebola cases amid outbreaks in several other countries, and it has been busy dealing with a number of other crises. But the Nigeria Center for Disease Control and Prevention, NCDC, says the deadly virus is likely to emerge, and the government is trying to be as ready as possible and raise public awareness of the threat. We have more from Abuja. No, we are not ready for it again because we suffered a lot last time Ebola happened. We don't even pray for that. Yes, I'm ready for the Ebola outbreak because I'm ready to take all the precautions that the government have said we should take. In fact, I'm not prepared because we're not done with COVID-19 cases, not more of um, Ebola coming in. So we don't know which one we're going to face. I'm not ready because last time on was somehow scary. I'm not ready for any outbreak of Ebola now. Everybody should be careful. In a recent statement, the NCDC said the likelihood of importation of the disease to Nigeria is high due to increased air travel between Nigeria and Uganda, where an outbreak of the Ebola Sudan strain is on the way. And there are extra concerns with Yuletide and festivals looming during the last few months of the year, with the presidential election looming early next year. A medical practitioner with the Kaduna State Ministry of Health, Dr. Jerry Bako, talks about the reaction of some Nigerians on the re-emergence of Ebola. There's a lot of things that citizens are worried about now. The economic issues, security, threat to life by gunmen, Terrorism, the recent flooding going on now is putting a lot of strain on people. 
So on the side of the healthcare workers, Ontario the Nigerian government I can say they are very much after that and they are prepared in case of an outbreak. The Sudan strain of the Ebola virus has caused previous outbreaks in South Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Dr. Bako emphasizes how deadly it is. The Sudan strain of the Ebola virus disease is very virulent and um, very fatal. The fatality rate is between 40% to 100%. And there's no known drug or licensed drug to treat it. And uh, there's no vaccine. So that's why it's very dangerous. The only thing healthcare providers do is to support supportive treatment. And early detection is key to how the person recovers. He advised the Nigeria government to scale up creation of response awareness to remind citizens that the threat is serious. Nigeria had a successful response to the Ebola outbreak in West Africa in 2014. For VOA News from Abuja, Nigeria. The World Cup has finally kicked off. Today in Qatar, Senegal's match against the Netherlands is underway. In Dakar, VOA's Abdurrahman Dia tells us spirits are high, even though the Taranga Lions are missing star player Sadio Mane because of an injury. Well, let's say that uh, the pressure has been building up since Saturday and everywhere in Dakar you can see uh, flags and you know jerseys in the you know, the colors of the national flag, the green, the yellow, and the red. And this morning, you can tell everybody has some sort of uh, those colors in their clothing, uh, you know. And right now, in, I'm in downtown uh, Dakar, and it looks like it is basically empty because normally you would have a lot of traffic, but people have left early their work. Uh, offices, most of them have closed and people are heading home to, to watch the game. Others are, like myself, are heading to one of those many fan zones set up to, to allow people to watch the, the game in public. So it's, people are really now into the game, despite the disappointment of the announcement of Sadio Mane's absence. So, but people are very helpful, especially after yesterday's game between Qatar and Ecuador. Uh, they seem very hopeful now. That, that's uh, VOA's Abdurrahman Dia in Dakar. And our trusted producer, Makbil Yabaro, informs me that the score is currently 0-0. Moving on now in the first match of the day, England defeated Iran 6-2. VOA's Kali Abdu and Sunday Shomaria in Qatar for all the action. Kali describes for us the atmosphere and the spirit of the fans as the first match of the day began. The atmosphere currently in Qatar is very high uh, energy. There's a lot of excitement. Uh, the English fans have been trooping in, in their droves to watch their team uh, play. Uh, England is currently playing against uh, Iran. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, the English fans have been uh, coming into Qatar uh, ever since uh, this morning. We encountered quite a number of English fans on the trains. Uh, they are near the stadiums, so singing, uh, passionately saying, the cup is coming home to England. Uh, quite a number of uh, Iranian fans as well uh, we encountered uh, shared uh, a lot of excitement as well, but uh, they weren't so confident of beating England, but they had some hope that they could put in a good performance. 
That's VOA's Kali Abdu reporting for VOA in Qatar. For all the latest on the World Cup, check out voaafrica.com World Cup and stay tuned to all your favorite VOA programs, including the sunny side of sports. We'll have an update on that Senegal match on Africa News tonight at 1800 UTC. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Dimiake Mwakalielia here in Washington, sitting in for Yeheyes Wahib for all the latest developments on the continent 24-7. Visit our website at voaafrica.com. Thank you again for tuning in and choosing the voice of America.